I encourage everyone to take a moment and breathe and take a tea cheers with a Jiri tea. A Jiri tea recognizes the beauty in shared stories and shared opportunities. Ajiri sources award-winning tea from Kenya, employs women in the region to handcraft the labels, and sends 100% of the profits back to the region to support orphan education. Save 10% on your order of Kenyan teas and coffee with the code BEAUTIFULLYHUMAN at ajiritea.com. A-J-I-R-I-T.com. Tea mugs up! Hello, and welcome to the Beautifully Human Podcast. I'm Nick Sheesby. In this podcast, I speak with beautiful humans from all around the world, sharing with you their incredible stories, revealing the power in every human story to spread love and humanity to a world that is in desperate need of it, to show that we can all connect in beautiful ways, no matter where we come from or what we look like. What you will find out is that we are all beautifully human. Let's all be beautifully human. Welcome in to another episode of the Beautifully Human podcast. Today I'm hanging out with Brittany Everett and we just have a fantastic conversation. We actually spoke for a couple hours after we got done chatting. She's just an amazing human. You're about to hear all about it. We talk about basketball. We talk about a city we both lived in. We talk about her art, which is really, really incredible. I highly recommend you check it out. Then we also talk about the diagnosis process in the States that she went through with the medical system here and just the everyday struggles that come with her diagnosis. Um, I'll let her tell you all about that. But if you enjoy this podcast, follow us on Spotify. Follow along on Instagram at the Beautifully Human Podcast. Rate review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and just enjoy this beautiful conversation. So I love to start these off with a big, broad, overarching question and let you kind of run with it and share your story. And so it starts off with, tell me a story of your life or the story of your life. The story of my life. Ooh. Okay, well, I am the child of two Marines. My father was a warrant officer in the Marine Corps. My mother was a lieutenant colonel, both retired. Uh, I have two brothers and a sister, so moving a lot. I always had them, um, and I think that made us best of friends today. Uh, kind of lived everywhere. I ended up marrying someone that wanted to go into the Marine Corps, so now... I'm still a Marine family. <laughs> <laughs> I played, my whole family loves basketball. So I uh, played basketball for most of my life. Competitive AU, had the opportunity to go to college for it, but wanted to live a life outside of sport. So um, that's where I met my husband. And I got to enjoy being young and irresponsible for a good four to five years. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had two kids. And um, I guess looking back, I'm an artist now, full time. Um, and while we were a sports family, I I guess I'd say that I come from a very artistic family as well. My mother's a musician, 
Uh, we all play piano. Um, but my father drew portraits with charcoal. Oh, cool. And um, I guess that's just where I got it from. I took it and rolled with it, and here I am today. Um, we also dealt with, I don't know how honest you want us to be out here. As honest as you want to be. Um, go wherever you want to go. I, I feel like I wouldn't be being truthful if I only, like highlighted the the cool parts of my life. Yeah. Um, I'm also a child of two alcoholics. Um, and that had a significant impact. Um, my mother is now completely sober for around, I think, two years now. And awesome. I'm so proud of her. Yes. Uh, but Hell that yes. had a significant impact on who I am today. Um, I think it's more empathetic and understanding of people and their issues. Yeah. Um, but it did lead to my father's death suddenly in November of 2019. Oh, wow. Uh, and that's kind of shaped who I am the most. Um, and I, you ask about a life story, I think it's hard to look back all the way because I feel like a new life started then. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everything else just kind of seems like a typical middle-class military family um, until that moment. Sure. Really. Um. So that's, I don't know what else. <laughs> uh, I have a degree in health sciences from Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay. Um, that I don't use. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I cheered there for a little bit because I was a gymnast most of my life as well, so I could tumble. Okay. Um, I have two children after the second one, my youngest. Uh, I developed, or we discovered that I have a disability in chronic illness called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and it's uh, I have the hypermobile type, and um, it's genetic, the genetic conne genetic connective tissue disease or disorder. So my collagen building blocks just aren't. It's not a deficiency. They're just not built the right way. <laughs> Yeah. So it leads me to being extra flexible and all of my veins and blood vessels being really loose and causes all types of syndrome, POTS, all, all of it. I have all of it. So that is also shaped and molded who I am. Yeah. Um, going from randomly able-bodied to now disabled Black woman in America trying to figure out the healthcare right situation <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's led to a whole new like i said it's hard to look back because the things that have happened just within the past three or four years i feel like i'm not i can't even recall before then right but in yeah. general just the family of yeah just two or one of four military children um these are my best friends today and 
lived all over the place. I'm now an artist with disabilities and just trying to navigate life, a new life that way. I actually spoke to another woman that had the same disorder and I Mm -hmm. learned so much. She spoke for quite a long time about it and I was very happy to learn because I had no idea. So when you said that, I was like, I just kind of took a deep dive on that. Um, Yeah. What was your diagnosis process like with that? Oh, okay. So um, I was a stay-at-home mother as well as an artist. Um, So I was home with my youngest. He was taking a nap. I had been feeling really just exhausted for some months prior, like no amount of caffeine helped. Um, I didn't really know why. Like it wasn't the type of like I didn't get enough sleep. It was like my I felt like I was dragging, like I had a thousand pounds on me. Mm. So tired. It didn't matter how much sleep I got. So he was waking up from nap. So I went upstairs to grab him from nap, and I came back downstairs with him. And I was going to start a pot of boiling water to make spaghetti for dinner for when my husband and oldest came home, and my heart. It felt like I was having a heart attack. Mm. Um, and I was completely calm, but I just I couldn't I couldn't breathe. My view started to narrow, and I'm familiar with anxiety attacks, so that it was not that. Um, and I immediately thought I was having a heart attack or stroke. Uh, I tried to wait out for my mom to come so I could drive myself to the ER, but it, it got bad. I had to call an ambulance. So I get to the ER, and of course they think, "Oh, we need to send psych down." So that was my first experience. And the site cleared me and was like, not an anxiety thing. This is a physical health issue. Yeah. Um, and they sent me home. I ended up back four days later um, with the same thing. And I kept blacking out while I was there. It was terrifying. I thought Jeez. I was going to die. Uh, and then eventually... An, or uh, yeah, one of the nurses said that this is a systemic thing. Uh, we should look at like autoimmune, all of that stuff. And then we kind of went back and forth with that for like a year, um, seeing specialists and all of them kind of saying it's in your head. You just went, my dad had just passed. No, my dad had just kind of disappeared. So I was dealing with that, but that's not what was going on with my body. Sure. Um, I, the stress probably did exacerbated but yeah. it's not what caused it um so just different specialists telling me i'm fine nothing's wrong i'm just a young mom you know i need to talk to someone drink some tea take some lemongrass and uh <laughs> which led to i have now permanent heart damage i have dysfunction grade two yeah oh. but they didn't catch for i think it was a year and a half after so, and then that led to the POTS diagnosis and um, we were trying to figure out POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, a lot of people are, de- are developing it as a result of COVID today. Yeah. Um, that's not how I got mine, but that's a lot. It's leading a lot of people to that. Um, so basically when you're upright or standing upright, all the blood rushes from your brain to your limbs. So you just have a lot of blood flowing. So you're not getting enough oxygenated blood to your brain. Huh. It comes with a lot more, but that's the gist. That's the gist. 
Yeah. Um, so I got that diagnosis first. And then we were just kind of like, where did this come from? This doesn't make any sense. And I asked me my whole life, how running or walking two miles with two kids in a cart, just like a month ago, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then I came across just constant Googling myself because it didn't seem like doctors were even trying to find an answer. And I came across Ellie Samuels. And a lot of things that I thought were normal my whole life weren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, how my this is my thumbs up. Just straight up 90 degree angle. It I thought that was normal. Um right. little things like that. Yeah. And looking younger than you really are is I guess a telltale symptom of it too. Huh. Um I have a lot of like subluxations, so not not full dislocations, but my shoulders and hips will pop out of place. Um back problems. Just and that's I passed the diagnostic criteria for it. And finally after that it just became a rabbit hole of diagnosis once someone, a rheumatologist, took me seriously. And um it's led to after the hypermobile diagnosis, it's led to like gastroparesis, occipital neuralgia, iron deficiency, anemia. Like I don't even remember how how much, but everything stems from that. Yeah. But it, it, it was just being taken seriously. That was the hardest part. My heart rate was in the 160s, 170s, and I was sitting down doing nothing. Wow. So it, it, none of the doctors took that seriously. That was anxiety. I'd be talking just like this. Like, I'm not anxious. I'm not. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty traumatic. Um, I'm doing better today, though. But it's still a struggle to just find knowledgeable doctors. Sure. Um, the team I have now, they've been with me for like two years now, so they're learning with me. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have a great team now, but it took a long time to, to get there. So I can't even imagine what it'd be like if I didn't have access or, right. you know, the amount of access that I have. Yeah. I had a lesser amount. Like, I can't imagine. Like there's so many people out there that probably have the exact same thing. Women especially have the exact same thing going on. You can't get anyone to take them seriously due yeah. to you know, what they look like or their financial situation. I cannot imagine because it's hard. Yeah, that was that's my takeaway from both of these these stories that I've heard on diagnosis mm-hmm. of this. And I was just thinking if you don't have insurance or if you just don't have the funds, I mean there's such, there's so there's much no going into it that, yeah. And I have great insurance and the money that I pour into just medications and supplements. And that's not even counting the co-pays, the doctor's visits, the, you know, it's, it's a lot. And then you have to add that to managing your own healthcare because, you know, not everyone gets a caseworker and stuff like that. And it's, it's very stressful. Yeah. Like on top of just like you're supposed to stay as stress free as possible and make yourself not flare up, but the healthcare system makes that nearly impossible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh man. And what what always shocks me with it is you go to a doctor, they're supposed to be the the most knowledgeable. And what I keep finding is everybody is Googling. I was sitting here today, I got yeah. results from a blood from blood work and no doctor called. And I'm yeah. looking, I'm mm-hmm. sitting here going, 
I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. I don't, I don't, I don't know. And so that's no, Mm -hmm. no one called, no one let me know where to find this information. So I finally find it. And it's just so frustrating to be working and being like, look, yeah, I'm sitting here, I'm speaking to you in this and my heart is racing and I'm not anxious. Mm -hmm. Like there's something happening. And then you're supposed to trust them to find it. And a lot of times it's just like, you're good. And then when you bring up, like, I Googled this and this matches it, they'll be like, don't ever Google, you know, it's going to say you're dying. Like, yes, it will say you're dying, but Google also gives you access to information that they're not giving you. Right. So if, if I didn't have the internet, I wouldn't have a diagnosis. I could very well be dead, you know. It, yeah. The internet is how I've gotten a new community of people right. who understand me, um, the internet is how I've diagnosed myself with everything that I have. Wow. Every diagnosis. I boxed them and said, do you think that this is something that could possibly be affecting me? You know, once I got that hypermobile diagnosis, it was kind of like, yes, everything could be affecting me. So, um, but it's, and then there's people like who don't even have access to internet. And it's like how, Yeah. you know, and then the doctor's not, I have full experience with doctors, like your blood work and stuff being off and you're not seeing it until you go into my chart or get the printout and they didn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you're struggling. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it's, yeah, the whole system is so frustrating. It's, and I can't even imagine going to try and find something and being like, I, I know there's something bigger going on in me. I'm, yes. I'm an active human. I'm, uh, yes, I have stressors. Of course we all do. I mean, doesn't matter right. what you do in life there's stressors because life is very wrong oh <laughs> yeah. man you know it's just like you know your body best like yes these doctors went to medical school and at first i was just i feel like i was so naive like yeah. yes they go to school and i respect them so much for that good for them they're here to help us but not all of them have that mindset i right. guess um thankfully i have an amazing primary care doctor who after every specialist, you know, he still did what he could within his general scope of medicine. But it just, the specialists just make it so much more difficult to be sick and to stay stress-free. And I feel like it just leads to more sickness. Yeah. And even just getting the medications that I need, you get the uh, pre-authorizations so the insurance company is waiting for the doctors who are waiting for the pharmacy. And then you're just in a sick cycle of calling all three of them for months. I just went, I still have the medication I'm supposed to be on for an autoimmune, an autoimmune medication because that test came back positive. And who knows which one I have of that. So uh. I'm just trying to this last hurrah of giving me this medication, but it's been two, two months now. And my insurance is still like, we're waiting on the doctors, but my doctor's telling me we sent it. We're waiting on the pharmacy. And it's just, oh. it's a lot. Yeah. It's, Man, I just. It's so pointless. <laughs> yes. It's so, it's so hard to even want to go. I mean, I, I avoided doctors for so long until literally I just could not. I was, yeah. I related a lot to your story about your parents because I, to a little over two and a half years ago, coming up on three years, I was fully jaundiced because I was 
and still am a mm-hmm. severe alcoholic, but now I'm like 2.5, almost three years sober. Congratulations. That's so, huge. Thank you. Thank you. That's but awesome. that, that was the first time I went in because like, I was just always afraid because every time I had gone to a doctor, even for something small, it was just such a workaround. And so just exhausting. Yeah. And that yeah. that's just for small stuff. And then like, luckily I had a really good team of doctors. I mean, I think when you are completely jaundiced, they, they have a pretty good idea of why. What's so I don't think on, that, yeah. I don't think that one's a very hard one. So I had really good doctors that were super helpful when I was mm-hmm. there for that. And then I had specialists, but still even like, I remember mornings when I would need to get blood work and then I would be going to my specialist and it was in the same hospital system, but it was a small town in Ohio versus Cleveland. So I would send, they, my doctors would send it up to Cleveland mm. and I always had to print out my own because I'd get there always. every single time I'd give him the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe he got it this time. And then he's like, well, I don't know. No, I didn't get anything. Nope. And it was like, you told me where to send it. You told me where to fax it. You did all this. And you still, I show up and he's like, I oh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate you bringing it. And I'm like, what good would this, like, I just drove an hour to get here. What is right, it going to do? Would if, I, I have? <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't have it and I don't have it, what am I going to do? Like, right. this is I think pretty that's dire. It's like doctors not communicating. And I feel like that's so weird. Like if you have one patient in common, don't you think that you should talk to each other about it and not leave it to the patient? Since you guys are the ones that know what's going on. Yeah. Or can bounce ideas off each other. Like all we have is Google. Right. Yeah. And what we feel. Yeah. Oh man. That is just, I'm so thankful that they finally, that you kept persevering to, to get that diagnosis. But it, it it boils down to not having a choice, you know, like Tr- what? Right. it's either you get worse, which I, at that point, I didn't imagine a word right. or you just keep stressing yourself out to try to get 20% better maybe. Right. And so, um, I just, it turned my life upside down. Yeah. And then it's even the like you said the how not wanting to even go i went through that for a couple of months i got worse but i was like you know I, it's too much stress i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing and i need a break it's a full-time job totally and it's yeah it, it's terrible it's really bad people don't know it unless they're in they're in it yeah yeah and i don't know it just goes to like with a ton of what's happening, even with the virus and stuff of just like mm-hmm. people, people not taking other people seriously when they look at someone, like I look at you and I can say, you look very healthy to me. I look very healthy, but mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on inside and yep. you have no idea what's going on inside me. And it's like, yep. that also is just such a stigma that I I just can't, I can't stand. That's one of the hardest parts. One of the hardest parts. And it, again, it, it, when you go from being perfectly healthy, um, it's not how it should be, but this is, you know, for me, it's how it was. I, I just didn't know. You know, you hear disability, you hear chronic illness, you think of people who look visibly ill. Yeah. Or people who are paralyzed. You know, you don't really think of all the things in between. Right. 
and it's a lot it's a very very large spectrum yeah um, massive yeah and i it also comes with the guilt of like not knowing you know like i i left out all of these people not knowing i was leaving them out right you know i just said wasn't exposed to it. i didn't know i think that's the messed up part about it yeah yeah it's there's a complete ignorance i mean yeah, until maybe i forget when i spoke with her until a week and a half two weeks ago i had no idea that even exists there's, there's right. yeah there's so much that i'm just ignorant to and that that's why i love having conversations about these topics because i know i'm not perfect nobody's perfect and we all need to know more about all of these topics so we can think more right. and take it seriously. Yes. And so I, I, I agree completely. Like if we had more knowledge about disabilities and chronic illnesses and invi invisible illnesses in general, I feel like COVID would have been handled completely different. Yes. You know, there's, there's sick people and they're not just the elderly. Right. There, there are young sick people who don't look sick there are young children who right. are sick you know there's a a huge community of people who are immunocompromised and you can't tell by looking at them right and i feel like if we all knew that as a collective we would care a little bit more about yeah. what we're doing that could affect someone at home someone at their home you know someone they go to work with someone who has to go to work and is sick but can't stay home because they need to pay the bills right you know, yeah, yeah. The pandemic has made it harder to be sick. Yeah, you're just told all the time, like your life is. We don't care if you get sick; you're disposable, and that's been probably. It was hard before the pandemic, but since seeing every day on the news, to wear a mask to not wear a mask, as if hundreds of thousands of people haven't died. Right, right. <laughs> like, let's, come on. Yeah. Let's just care about other people. Like, let's. Right. Yeah. They deserve to not get a virus that could be prevented and die. Right. Yeah. yeah. Can we all just like give a shit about <laughs> yes. <laughs> about humans yes. in general? It's, it's not that exhausting. Like, it's just, I, I feel like it's not difficult. I, right. I, you I have care this, or you don't. Yeah. 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 And I, I have this conversation a lot with a friend of mine who, who just goes through the, the motions like, am I the asshole? And I'm like, dude, when you care about somebody, and put them in, you know, like put other humans as a collective, as, as what you care about, like you're never the asshole in that situation. It's, yeah. it's not possible. Like I'll never look back on 2020, 2021 and be like, man, I cared way too much about people that year. Not at all. <laughs> it's not, not going to happen. Like the, I, I just, it's <laughs> like, I always boil it down to, okay. What does wearing a mask cost you aside from the cost of the mask? How would you feel if you passed, if you didn't like fully exhibit symptoms and you recovered from COVID, but you passed it on to someone who died, someone whose both their parents died? Then that mask, like the scale, come on now. Like, right. It's just, it's not worth someone's life. No. Just your opinion on a mask. Right. Yeah, it's... It's not. No. I'll stay home for a year. 
Yeah. If it means, you know, even five people don't catch a disease that could kill them. Totally. Yeah. And especially with, I mean, I present as a healthy human, but Mm -hmm. I have cirrhosis of the liver and that's very high risk. And nobody would know that by looking at me. I look very healthy, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's what keeps me being like, yeah, I will do my part. I will think about what is going on in every other person. And that is fine with me. I will, I will gladly care about that person i mean i think about it too of of children right the concept is Mm -hmm. very fucking simple to children of hey if you put this on you know tim your friend his grandma won't get sick if you wear this great boom done my kids have had zero issue like their lives have been flipped upside down by like having to be pulled out of their schools not seeing their friends both of the my mom and my in-laws are here and they would have a sleepover every every Tuesday with my in-laws. They had to, we, they don't do that. We're finally getting back to now because we are back. Our family is vaccinated, but it, their lives have been flipped upside down, and they've taken it like champs. They're yeah. like, oh, okay. Or my youngest does, or my oldest, I'm sorry, does kindergarten on the computer, but he doesn't know any different. You know, it's, if you just explain it to them, people are getting sick. We don't want anyone else. We don't, we don't want to get anyone else sick. So we got to yeah. wear this while we're out. And right. they have not thrown a fit. They've been like, oh, okay, sounds good. I mean, yeah, think about all the other stuff you put on kids. It's like, hey, why do we, <laughs> I mean, think about how many kids just love running around without clothes. And you finally are like, hey, you got to put mm-hmm. on some clothes. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, yeah, cool. They're learning. Or it's They're like, if you adapting. can put your kid in a huge big bow, you can put them in a mask. Right. Like, if they're going to wear that big headband, they'll be fine and mask. Yeah, we're all going to be fine. It's not that hard. They they react to what you react to. Right. Yeah, and I mean, they, yeah. I'm also thinking, like you said, you grew up with a military family, so you moved all over. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's hard. That's that's even traumatic for, yeah. for someone growing up. And you learn yeah. to adapt to that, you know? I don't think it would have been the same if I didn't have my siblings yeah um like i've the most long-term friends i've had are from when we stayed when we finally moved and stayed and they're still my best friends to this day but like i know people who have had best friends since they were like five or four and you know that's not an experience that any of my you know my siblings have but we had each other um which also makes our bond weirdly close today that's so awesome (laughs) though I thought that everyone kind of talks to this, just says anything to their brothers and sister. And I guess that's not the case. Um, but they, I, it would have not, it would have been way more traumatic without them. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I had one constant. Right. So, yeah. Right, which... and led us to what we are today. <laughs> that's so cool. Do they live close to you still? No, now they don't. Um, okay. My brothers went into the military. My sister's in Arizona. Okay. Uh, my youngest brother just got back here, actually, from Japan. He's in the Navy. Uh, he's up in D.C., so I, I see him. I, my older brother, is he just got stationed in Oregon. Ah, cool. But he was in um, Sacramento. So when we lived in California, we'd go up there every, every holiday imaginable. But we talk all the time. Like, we FaceTime all the time. It's kind of, I'm pretty sure we annoy each other. 
how much we talk. But we, <laughs> like it, we're also used we're used to the distance though. So sure. I don't know. It's not really a big thing for us. Like, yeah. uh, it, it didn't affect our relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, um, we have kids now, and I wish that they could grow up together. Right. See, yeah. You know, they we, they see them when they can't, but um, yeah, we're always talking. <laughs> I love it. Um, we also have a similarity of playing basketball. What was your What was your position? Point guard, short, Point guard. <laughs> fast. That's awesome. What about you? I was shooting guard. Ah, nice. I just camped out on the the three point line. That line, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My so uh, my father, he's from he was from Southside Chicago, and I, that was his one escape. And just watching him play was beautiful, and he became one of the greatest. You know, I do know a lot of kids who have their father coach them. I was lucky to start off with other coaches, so like it. He, he wanted that. Um, so I didn't coach him until I was at the age group that he started coaching. Or he didn't coach me until I was at the age group that he started coaching. It was, there was no favoritism. There was none of that. And um, I think watching him teach ball was even more beautiful than watching him play it. He was one hell of a coach. Yeah. And uh, I think anyone, like there's so many people that went, that he helped get into college and given opportunities to or just like let them enjoy basketball on more than a high school like more than a school level yeah you know all the fun is in aau that's, right that's where the that's where the fun is and so we had like just the most just probably the one of the best times of my life is like going to nationals at disney world and we got third there so that was fun. Yeah. So they got third the first year and then second for our age group the next year. And it was just cool. Like we went from having six people on our team um, with iron on letters on jerseys or light yeah. on numbers on iron on numbers on jerseys to placing second in nationals. And then you have to be in that magazine with like top 25 players. It was, awesome. it was so cool. It was, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I recommend basketball to anybody and everyone because more than just bouncing the ball, you know, it's, yeah. He said it was a dance. It is. That's, I've never heard it called that before, but it's that all is. about the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. All about the rhythm. Totally. So he always, he always played this song by Onyx called Slam. <laughs> he would just blast it in the gym <laughs> and he'd make us bounce the ball and dribble and do drills to the beat of that song and it it worked that's so cool i never yeah. thought about it that way but that's a really cool beautiful yeah. way to think about it he always said it, it's all about music it's all about rhythm you know if you're out of rhythm everything else in the game is going to be out of whack as well yeah wow huh I've... so we we ran a fast-paced game a running game all yeah. the time just maintain the rhythm so if you can keep up. Right. Oh, yeah, that's, that's how we play. He called it Havoc. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So that's then it was so cool, cool to go to VCU where I didn't choose to play basketball. And then their team runs Havoc. They called it Havoc. So I thought hmm. that that was so weird. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
strange. Yeah. Um, I actually lived in Richmond for a little while and I was ah, going to yeah. go to VCU for film school, but then I wasn't from Virginia. So I was, I took a year to get Virginia residency and it didn't work out, but I was trying to go to VCU. <laughs> I actually worked for VCU in the roofing department for like two weeks. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> VCU was, is the best. It, I've met my friends from VCU are my best friends today. This, I just awesome. had the time of my life the people the area the yeah. art everything i loved to see you with a passion yeah it's so like, cool it's such a I, I i was in such a different part of my life when i lived in richmond um mm-hmm. i was scraping by delivering pizzas uh from mm-hmm. papa john's i'm sure you've driven past the papa john's i worked at oh, many yeah. a time <laughs> right there close to campus yeah. um so i didn't i didn't get to enjoy it as much i did love going to the bird theater to watch movies that yeah. was so rad just i yeah. love going to the those old, old theater. theaters man it comes love out on the it. organs and stuff that was super and the rad popcorn was so good yes so good <laughs> yes. um but I've been back through a few times. Uh, I work in the music industry, so I've been back on tour a few times. That I've I really enjoy going back. It's it, it holds a special place in my heart, even though it yes. was just such Dang. a strange growth, hard year of my yeah. life. But it was yeah. So cool. I wouldn't say Richmond. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was my healthiest. Uh, yeah, I looking back i was like 98 pounds drinking like every every day i worked at i worked at hooters did multiple waitressing jobs kind of here and there and it was exhausting but i love the people there like i love the atmosphere there's just always something to do even if it's chill yeah, I loved it there. But you are right. Looking back, it was a very weird time <laughs> in life. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I. Yeah. It definitely was. Yeah. By the time I ended there too, it was like when my relationship was ending, and it was just like I gotta get out of here. I'm not mm-hmm. like that's why I didn't end up going to school there, and it was just like I, I'm getting out of here. It just yeah. didn't work out very well. <laughs> yeah, I realize that it's really small when you think about it. Like, yeah. you know, with such a diverse group of people and how many people are there, it's still like if you're trying to avoid somebody, you're going to see them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, like it doesn't very matter where you are. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. so true. And especially, I feel, I'm sure it's grown more now, it's but huge. I was there in, oh God, what year was that? Oh, four, oh, five. So it was still pretty pretty small i mean you go to carrytown mm-hmm. and you just see anybody you knew they're just Everyone, walking yeah. the strip <laughs> <laughs> i love carrytown though yeah i remember besides the bird i remembered going to carrytown burgers and fries all the time and i just loved that place mm-hmm. that place was so damn good or sushi i forgot what the place is called though it was some good sushi there too yeah, yeah there's some great sushi i loved it there Oh, yes, it was awesome. Tell me about your art because I've seen the photos of it and it is unbelievably amazing. Thank you so much. Um, well, it started off. My dad would, whenever he deployed, he would, in the he would send us in the mail 
Um, I would think it was a letter, but I opened it up, it'd be a, port a charcoal portrait of like Barbie in her car. And um, I just remember being enamored by it. Like he liked doing portraits. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's how I got into portraits because he'd sit me down and be like, draw what you see. And he'd like put his hand out. And I think the first thing I started drawing was hands. Hmm. And I didn't get it then, but he said, because those are the hardest things to draw. So I was drawing hands in, I want to say sixth grade. I wasn't very good though. Yeah. But then I, my older brother was in high school at the time and he was so good. And I just remember being green with envy. Like, I was so mad that he was good at this and I was not. Cause everything else we did, like we, we both were good at basketball. We both, you know, loved video game. Like we were both good at the same thing, but he had this one up on me, you know, yeah. like this, that's, that's not going to stand. Right. <laughs> he's going to be able to draw. I'm going to be able to draw on it. I just wanted to be like him in every way. And so I just kept drawing. And I would get like random loosely pieces of paper with a pencil and my finger and a tissue to smudge. And I would grab um, my sister's high school graduation pictures. And that's the first portrait I ever draw, I ever drew was of my sister on a loose leaf paper. Oh, that's um, so cool. And I was shocked. I was like, oh, snap, that looks just like her. Oh, I like doing this. And so um, it just went from there. And I, my dad taught me what he could with, with pencils. Um, I got into painting in high school with my art teacher, shout out to Mrs. Stanislaw. She taught me so much. Uh, would not be here today without the lessons she taught me as well. Um, just taught me about color and I think that's where I got my love of vibrancy and the use of color to portray emotion um, and that art doesn't have to really mean anything um, I think people always ask about some profound meaning like what does this mean like, it yeah. it's, I don't do art for meaning it's like that stresses me out sure uh, you know it I want to convey a feeling so I like to just, I wanted to create and mass um, pieces that make you feel something, whether it be like strength or awe or sadness or just like powerful or just calm, something along those lines. And um, that's where it started. I just, I just wanted to make something that made people feel good and so like all of my pieces have this kind of like escapism Edenish vibe like flowers and women and yeah and that's i like to pair it with sometimes a male animal head or a, and it's because i kind of like to draw that parallel between like a softly poised woman with a head that's like a male featured head that's associated with power and strength because mm. we as, as a society associate men with strength sure so i i didn't want to stray away from my roots in i love flowers i love color i love pretty things but i also wanted them to come off as strong and resilient and represent people that you don't see in art mm. um i just i got tired of 
seeing women drawn through the lens of men. Yeah. You know, I, I there's nothing wrong with having a muse or anything like that, but I wanted to see women as something other than a muse. Like I, I wanted to see women the way that I see women. And so I just, I, it slowly turned into me only doing women and I don't draw men at all. <laughs> and, um, but it's purposeful. I, I do it for the people who reach out and are like, thank you for doing this skin tone or using these colors on this skin tone. And um, I think so often you see creators unable to do darker skin tone or not unable, unwanting. Yeah. And associating them with any colors. They'll pick the same colors. And it's like, you can put any color on any skin. You just gotta work at it. Yeah. And so I just, I wanted to create a space for people who didn't feel like they saw themselves in art by an artist who looks like them yeah that's so beautiful i love thank that. you I love thank that. you and man yeah i i remember when i first saw your paintings i was like oh my god like i'm i'm just always envious of artists i i'm fascinated by it i've i i can do i take i take pretty decent photos and that's that's my art <laughs> well see i can't do that so <laughs> that's an art in itself but i i just love i love the thought of using your mind and your hands to create that and it's it's just so brilliant and i love i love the story and the beauty and the power behind that that's so so amazing thank you i mean i always tell people they'll be like like it, it, it's the, a very small portion of it is talent very small just like anything else it is work it is practice commitment yeah. um i now I'm in a space where like I'll know the way that I go my process is like I'll have a color in my head and I want to use that color or that color scheme now I'll just kind of play around with ideas using that color and then I just kind of I'll get a flower that I like and I'm like okay that's the color all right getting somewhere and I'll either take like a quick selfie or something just to have a reference picture and I'll just, I don't know, it's, it's just a color and a feeling is how it starts out. Yeah. And I've, if you don't practice, then you can't create any, anything out of what you feel. Because you're always going to be looking for like, okay, what's something that I can copy? What's something that I can reference? Um, but I find that if you're not putting your emotions behind it, your true feelings behind it, it's not going to convey anything. And it's not going to feel finished. Yeah. And um you just got to practice. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I took a year off and all I did was uh, I switched from, or I taught myself to draw digitally, which was a whole different wow. ball game. <laughs> whole yeah, different ball game. My gosh. Um, and now I'm obsessed with it, but it's also an accessibility thing. You know, it, it I can, it's something I can do without a ton of pain. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy it, but you, you can't just pick up an apple pencil and ipad and just start drawing without knowing what you're doing first you know right. it, it goes back down to the basics um which is it ties back to my dad sitting me at a table just he would draw one line and i'd have to connect the line and it could be squiggly or whatever you want but we always had to connect the line 
and it would turn into this big picture. And then he would like tell us to shade a part of it and turn it into like, this masterpiece of all this piece of paper. And again, just knowing the shape, knowing your own style, knowing yourself. It, I feel like anyone can draw if they want to, like, but it takes a lot of work. That's why I said if they want to. Right. Yeah. It takes a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. What a cool lesson too. of like, doesn't matter if it's squiggly. It doesn't matter. Just got to connect it. Like, how yeah, cool. I, it, I just love that. It doesn't. Yeah. And I, I think because it. of that, it's like, it, a lot of my work doesn't blend, if that makes sense. Like, I'll, I like to layer my work. Like, mm. Oh, I mean, you can see that in the background. There's like a triangle and then there's flowers and then there's a leopard in front of it. There's yeah. Three distinct layers. And a lot of people, like a lot of criticisms I get from older artists are, um, you, you should make it all blend, look like it's all coming together. And I think what that line for line thing taught me is that it doesn't have to. Yeah. You know, it could be whatever you want, how right. you see it. And not everything has to be tied together. And I think that's what makes it more beautiful. Yeah. And something that not everyone sees all the time, unless it's like in abstract art. Sure. Yeah. And like, you know, just the need to create something different. Yeah. I love it. I think it's so beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, all right. I'm going to throw, throw it off and go, go on a random, random question for you. All right. COVID restrictions aside, if it was just back to travel as normal, and I came to you and I had a plane ticket and it was to anywhere in the world, where would you go? Oh my gosh. Anywhere? Anywhere. I really, really, really want to go to Iceland really bad. Yeah. It just seems, it's just so green and so beautiful. And I feel yeah. like it just smells so good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, it's so beautiful. I, I think I'd stay there. Cool. Yeah, I went five or six years ago, but I was still drinking massive, like massive amounts. So yeah. I did not appreciate it. But my partner and I found out that Iceland is open for vaccinated travelers. So in a month and a week, randomly, in the end of June, we're flying to Iceland and we're spending a month over there just to get a break so from here awesome. for a while. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so, jealous. <laughs> so just so you know, it is open for vaccinated travelers, which is so like jealous. A, it was so fun. I look at pictures of it all the time. It's, it just looks so beautiful. It's I've I've been very fortunate to travel a lot with work, and then I just traveled on my own because I just said I'm gonna go when I want to go. Mm -hmm. And Iceland is the one place that, when I got there, I felt as if I'd gone to a different planet. It didn't feel I didn't. That's what I'm going for. Didn't yeah. believe that it was the same plant like i look out my window that i'm sitting right beside right now and i understand what that is because it's very normal looking but like right. the lava rocks the green the blue of the water wow. it is just it's Unreal. so bonkers i have to i have to go yeah i, have to I go. highly I, I, recommend I've, it i've seen people that like i'll follow on instagram that i went to college with or something and 
I think it was two people that went and just, it really does look like something out of a sci-fi book. Yeah. Like just this beautiful fairy tale planet going on. Yeah. And I need to be there. Yeah. It's so vast and just, it's just, yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah. So I just feel like if you go, it'd be like, no, I just, I feel like all the stress would just drop. Instantly. Yeah. That's why. That's I th- I I I'm not underestimating it because I know every time I fly out to somewhere out of this country, I just get a like, my shoulders drop and I just go, oh, okay, I get a minute. Yes. I always this tell time. I hated <laughs> What's that? So I tell everybody I hated here. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I hated here. <laughs> Same. Um. <laughs> But after all of this and taking the time off that we had to take off from traveling, after I get over getting on a f- on a flight again, because that's something I'm gonna have to deal with in my head, and the anxiety. Oh my god, we're getting there. I'm, I'm working with myself on it. But yeah. I know once we leave the airport, and I know we're headed to Reykjavik, I'm just gonna go. Oh my god, I'm just gonna melt. Yeah, I'm gonna melt away and just yes. like let it roll <laughs> let it roll well, off i, I commend you because i don't think i could ever hop on a plane again yeah i just i feel like i'd have an instant panic attack like i just good a flying germ i know container I, yeah i, I wiped i wiped down seats like before covid right yeah <laughs> I know, and it's it's kind of the same battle I'm I'm at with going mm-hmm. back on out on tour with bands. It's, it's a tour bus, and I mean we got sick on tour all the time because we're just breathing each other's air. Yeah, so you think about it now, it's so gross. It's so. I mean, I it is. It was so I normal, mean, and now it's 11, so gross. Yeah, eleven or twelve people living in a hallway is rough. <laughs> on a normal time, yeah, it's it's funny when people look at a tour bus and they go "Ooh, that's so glamorous and it's like yeah right i did yeah, and right. you're right because i did at first i was like oh that looks so much fun when you think about it it's like ew. Yeah. i don't know every, covid is about everything like we used to blow on or someone used to blow on their birthday cake candles and then share it with everybody right. everything was gross and I think it's also exposed to how people don't wash their hands. Yes. And so, like, I don't want to go anywhere or touch anything. Yeah. Ever. So, I, yeah. There's so mm-hmm. much, so much that I think about from the past that I just go, I just cringe. I'm like, yeah. what were yeah. we doing? We're so disgusting. Everything is so gross. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely if you not if you were not OCD you're you're pretty damn close to it by now yeah and i was i was like diagnosed with it before yeah oh man there's not enough germex in the world right yes man (sighs) all right i have two more questions for you okay um first one is what would you want the world to know about you Mm. I don't know because I'm a pretty open book like I, I, I try to share all my experiences because I got, I got tired of feeling alone and I feel like no one shares like the bad stuff yeah um, I guess that I'm not as 
cold or um, angry as I come off as like I yeah I guess that okay because like if you would look at any of my socials it's more like activism or right just being stupid there's nothing really in between yeah (laughs) um but i'm actually more i'm very goofy and different (laughs) that's the only way i can put it (laughs) i guess it's not i'm not as cold and um angry as i put out there but there are things i'm angry about but i'm not as a person yeah well, well, I haven't felt that in our in our conversation. Well, thank you. <laughs> I've thank thoroughly you. enjoyed it, and <laughs> I I think it's the way you said it is a pretty open book, and I think that's I think that's so important with your journey and everything that's going on in the world to be open and just talk about things. Also, because you control your narrative as well when you're open mm-hmm. book. So if you're saying everything, whatever. If if anybody else comes out and says something, it's like. I already said it. You can't hurt me. Yeah, like I already I, said it. I'm not hiding anything. Here's the good. Like, the I'm okay. Bad. Yeah, I'm okay with being a villain if that's what. Like, I'm okay with it because I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we all are at one point. Yeah. And I just, just like we don't see or the world doesn't really acknowledge people with like invisible illnesses. I think that includes, you know, mental. Yeah. Um, obviously, but I. I think it also includes trauma. Um, like no one talks about it. Right. Like hardcore trauma. And after the trauma of my dad passing and well, he disappeared first and then he passed. So you have someone in your life, your whole life, and then they're just gone. Yeah. And then they're gone permanently. Right. Holy hell. You, you don't, you know, people don't talk about stuff like that. And then when you do talk about it, you're seen as depressed or, right. you know, I don't want to see any of that. And it's like, uh, if that's how you view me, okay. But I know that I feel alone. And if I, maybe if I'm talking about this, you know, maybe other people won't feel as alone. Right. As I did and sometimes still do, you know, like, Sometimes people will message me and just say, thanks for saying that. That's exactly how I feel. I relate to this. and I make sure that I reach out to people when I feel like something they they said resonated with me too. Totally. That's how I started being an open book. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, it has, things happen. Right. Right. There's a lot of shit in the world that isn't fun. It isn't easy to talk yeah. about. But you, no matter what you're going through, somebody else not exactly the same but someone's having similar it's yours because you're dealing with it but someone else out there has had that happen in some way shape or form and needs to hear it and maybe they've been harboring it for a year two years whatever it may be and then they hear you or i talking about something and they go oh wow i'm not alone in the world me harboring it, I I used to be a very reserved person. Like when it, like I, I still have issues crying in front of people. I now know that this is, that's a trauma response, but that's not the point. <laughs> I, 
I just, I don't like being vulnerable in front of people as a whole. I never have even since I was little. Like my sister always says that I like looked through people and I never cried. So I was like, she thought I was a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back, like I could see that. Yeah. And um, I tried doing that just by default. And it put me in a darker place. Because there are just some things that you cannot contain. Like we're not supposed to be able to harbor things that are that dark or that heavy by ourselves. Right. You know, it can lead to it can lead to chronic illness. Right. It could, you know, it it can start manifesting in ways that you didn't know stress can manifest. Yeah. And it, it affects your whole life in every aspect. And, you know, talking about it, I wouldn't say is like healing, but it, it, it just leaves no room for, I guess, questions or like, I feel like people understand you more when you let them know the things that you've been through. Like my, people might understand why you react the way you react or right. why you're on a bender or like it just, you know, Totally. I, just, I feel like people are more empathetic and understanding. Yeah. It out there. Like I've, I've, the biggest issue I had was caring at all mm-hmm. about anything really. Yeah. Um, and I feel like because I let people know that they didn't take it personally. Yeah. So like all my friends and family have been very, I'm still having a hard, I still have a hard time talking to people. Like I'm very isolated. I just I don't have all of my mental energy goes into trying to heal mentally, yeah, um, and spiritually and all that. And so like when people you let people know, you know they they don't people who love you aren't gonna judge you anyway. Right. But they they give you more room. Like they don't take things like as you're avoiding them personally. Yeah. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I know when I started sharing my story with my alcoholism, um, the one that stuck out and I, I didn't want to come out and say it just to get the like little golf claps and all the likes and all that on Facebook, which you should congratulate your friends, like your mother's congratulations to her. That's so fantastic. I'm so happy to hear her story, um, with her journey. Um, but I shared it and, I was out on a tour and a friend of mine saw me and I was three months sober. I was actively trying not to die. I was trying to figure life out and see what the hell life looked Mm -hmm. like as a sober human. I was still very sick looking. Um, And I told him a little bit about my story, kept going along my way. And then when I shared my story, it it was probably a year and a few months into my journey. And this had been over a year ago that I'd been on this tour. I finally wrote about it and he sent me a message and he just said, Hey dude, I have to let you know when you wrote this and I read it and I like, after I saw you on that tour and I saw how well you were doing and I said, man, if Nick can do what he's doing and he can get sober and go on tour, I can do this. So he told me that because he saw me doing well and actively trying to get sober, and he went out on his first tour sober, the next tour. And when he wrote me, he goes, I just passed my one year sobriety, which about a month ago he hit his two year. And I was like, 
That's awesome, man. Dude, you yeah, just it have only takes no one. clue what power you can give somebody else just by yes. speaking up or saying something or just living what you're saying at, yep. out loud. And that okay. that's where it started for me to share my story more and then just have conversations to uplift others' stories as well yeah. because we I all just, need to hear I, people's stories. Yeah, I think that it all... We get worse when we don't feel like anyone else can relate, when most people can't. Right. So I struggled with alcohol right after my father passed, which seems weird because alcohol took his life. Right. Um, and it's also uh, alcohol, it's a generational thing. Yeah. Um, that's affected and taken many lives in my family. And after my father, you know, I was kind of like, well, I just was not sober for months. Yeah. Like it was, it was, I don't think I've ever drank that much in my life. And it was to a point, uh, like waking up coffee, drink. Yeah. And have some water in between if I remember. Right. Drink some more, go into a dark room, watch Netflix or something. I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was pretty bad, but nobody knew except for my husband who was here. Right. Time, it's like I'm worried it's like something's wrong but he'd go to work and I'd go to a dollar store and get some wine like yeah because he wasn't buying anymore and it was months on end um I think that's when I finally understood how hard it is for anyone struggling with addiction to find new ways to cope right right that was because I I didn't stop until like a close friend of mine and my husband were like, I get it, but this is something's wrong. Yeah. This is, this is going down that path. Right. And it was, I don't think people also realize how easy it is to go down that path. Oh man. It's you quick. know, it, Yeah. And I, you still want to do it. Right. Yeah. You still yeah. want to. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, when your coping mechanism is also the massive issue, it's really hard to figure out something else to cope yes. with. Your coping yes. mechanism being gone and your addiction, also your issue being gone. You lose all three of those in one foul swoop. So you have to figure out what makes sense to do yes. differently. Yeah, not stressed out. Yeah. And it's hard. Right. It's, I don't impossibly hard. you want to numb everything right you know some things you just cannot something i feel like i really feel this in my soul is that our brains just cannot fathom something right you know that from experience yeah and i think when we can't understand it we just overthink about it it's just there all the time and that, that for me that was the case and drinking drink and it wouldn't be there so much you know i, yep. mean, I didn't care <laughs> yeah exactly and like i i didn't go with the drink i had my first alcoholic beverage i want to say i think it was two weekends ago in a year but i was able to have that day and then now i'm back but again i'm not i don't, I don't struggle with addiction for years yeah um, 
but I can see how it is a slippery slope and yeah. um, I can see the, the struggle. And I feel like that has had me a lot more, uh, given me a lot more empathy for my mother as well. I, I harbored so much anger yeah. um, for something that wasn't her fault. Yeah. Yeah. That it's an, un, a never ending battle. Even when you get it is. years and years in, it's, it's one slip up and it can be, it can years be right back in into it. And yeah. Yeah. It's, I know. Hard, it's, it's hard work every day. Um, yeah. And I, I've seen her hard work and I don't think people realize how serious addiction is. Right. Like addiction isn't, it is hardcore drugs, but it's also alcohol. It's also yeah. gambling. Right. Um, Big time. Now, I don't think people put those things together. And yeah. they ruin, it, it ruins families. It takes people's lives. Yeah. You know? Yeah, especially alcohol because so many, it's so just commonplace. I mean, mm-hmm. so many conversations, especially once I got away from drinking and I started being so actively listening and being vigilant yeah. when I'm around it. Just how many people have full-on conversations and the only thing they talk about is how much they drank or what they drank, especially during quarantine of like, well, I started drinking at three, which I fully understand. If I was, I, I, wouldn't, have, I yeah. wouldn't have made it through quarantine if I wasn't sober. With my drinking habits, I, I, I'm not yeah. even being morbid. I just wouldn't have yeah, wouldn't that's have survived. Another thing. Is that I feel like when you talk about it, people call you morbid. And right. it's like, no. This is, I'm, I'm just realistic. I almost <laughs> died in a normal world. So if I was yeah. locked down <laughs> and nothing sure. to do and absolutely nowhere to go, what else would I have done? I yeah. barely functioned because I was on high level touring gigs. That was the yeah. only reason I tried to somewhat function. Yeah. That's the most annoying part about it. And it's like, you're so depressing. You're so morbid. It's yeah. like, no, this, this is real life. Like, a, right. You have to live, you have to be so privileged and in a bubble to think that people talking about their experiences is morbid or dark or right. depressing. And it's like, that's what makes us who we are. Right. Our experiences and how we react to them and how we grow from them. Yeah. Not all of us grow in the best way, but right. you know, we grow when we do, we do what we can, yeah. what we got. And I just, it's very, it, it's a very lonely process. And then just finally not caring if people view you as dark or morbid is really freeing as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. your truth is out there. You are who you are. Right. Cause I'll, I'll take one story similar to what my friend told me and that, that will fuel me for years yep. more than someone saying, why do you talk about that so much? Because it's yeah. a cautionary tale too. You might be yeah. thinking you're having a real good time, but just be careful. That's it. Think about yeah. it. These are yeah. real consequences to the shit that you yeah. do. Or it's like if even people seeing, like if you talk about the, the beginning of your of your addiction and like how it kind of stumbled out of control, then people will stop and be like, wait, I'm at this point. Right. Totally. You know what? When am I going to be on that side of the yeah the scale that that falls? You know? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I just feel like there's so much 
before my traumas and before illness and before alcohol that I was so blind to because I did grow up in a bubble. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it, going back to the question of what's your story, I guess, I don't know because there's so many of them. Right. <laughs> so many different versions of myself. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, all, it's a the very general, complex. Yeah. <laughs> it's very complex. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 yeah. beautiful though to to follow all the lines of where they've been to, where they've come from, where yeah. you're at, where you're growing. So I like talking yeah. about it. It opens Pandora's box, and then you start talking about the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. <laughs> and I'm I'm in it for does. all of it because yeah. it's all that. That's life. That's the truth yeah. of life. Is that it's not perfect, but that's what. Right the title of the podcast is beautifully human that's what makes us beautifully human not physically beautiful yeah. but that shit that we deal with mm -hmm. and like we bring into life and that happens to us in life it makes us beautifully human i don't know i also when you said that it just it made me also remember that when you start realizing that there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in life like you have these great grand moments, but there's a lot of shit that comes with it. And that the world as a whole is like, whoa, not what I thought being an adult was gonna be. Like you come to like these self-realizations that lead to existential crisis. Like just a whole, why am I here? What is the purpose of all of this? Right. What What is the purpose of what I just went through? Yeah. What? I'm just going to be gone one day. Like, what? Well, it, it leads to a whole different thing that's hard to cope with as well. <laughs> totally. So, like, totally. it's not even just coping with your traumas or coping with your addictions. It's coping with the self-realization. Yeah. It, yeah, it just, totally. Yeah. I hard. mean, yeah, mine with my, when I went into the hospital, I was told I might not have another day. I was that close. Oh. And so I fully, at that point, I, I had to sit there that night and come to grips with life. I had to look back at the, I was 33 at the time and I had to come to grips with yeah. what did I do? What was life? What did, what, what legacy is, did I leave? Like what, what? And, Am I going to be I mean, remembered, you know? Yeah. And it was, it yeah. actually was a beautiful starting point for me to, because I, like you said, when you talked about not caring and you have to let people know that like that was a big one for me i just didn't think i yeah. gave a fuck if i lived or died then when mm -hmm. i was presented with it i was like i do okay i do i'm yeah. proud of myself for that but also when i was sitting there just thinking on my hospital bed i said i was really happy with that i lived my life my way and that i didn't play it safe I took ch chances and I, I did what I wanted to do so I was really happy with myself and so in that moment of one of the hardest realizations I've had to come to in my life that if I close my eyes I have no idea if they're coming back up up that That's I a terrifying moment yeah and I was yeah. I was like yes there's stuff I wanted to do still there's places that I didn't get to but I I did a hell of a good job getting to the places I wanted to go to and I really I lived life and I enjoyed it so and that yeah. was that was a really 
big empowerment moment for me. And then moving forward, it also was like, okay, I want to leave the best mark on this world that I can. I want to have conversations with people. I want to travel and see the world. I want to meet people from other cultures. And I want to show people as they are and open Mm -hmm. other people's minds who might not have ever spoken to you or anybody else that I speak to just to listen to someone else's story from a lens of their own and then look inward and do that themselves just spread those ripples around and that's what I can do with it and that's that's, that's where I'm at is just I want to spread the love and the beauty and the humanity around the world and that's my mission with whatever amount of time I have left on this earth yeah that's that's amazing isn't it isn't it a weird i feel like that's the weirdest part about any type of moral dilemma or like not dilemma but like just coming in terms with your morality like going to sleep and not knowing if you want to wake up if you've never experienced that then like consider yourself lucky yeah you know but when there also comes something beautiful with it like I had the opposite um, realization is that I just wasn't being who I actually am. Like I was trying to fit this mold of a military wife, mm. of a mom, like a stay-at-home mom, like just trying to be this. And you know, no shame to anybody who who are like the golden standard stereotype that. Sure. what I aspired to be, you know, Yeah. but, um, it wasn't me. Uh, and I want, I didn't start realizing until I got sick that I just, I didn't feel like I was authentic mm. at all times. And so now I just, I, I, I'm doing things that 13 year old in basketball shorts, Brittany <laughs> would be doing. And like I've gotten back into gaming, I nice. gamed when I was, I gamed most of my life, but now I'm like hardcore into it. But it's also because of chronic illness, you know. Yeah. Like, you only watch so much TV and right. read so many books, you know. It opened up a whole new hobby and community and yeah, more nerds alike. Right, right. Yeah, and it's you know I'm, I'm back to just not caring what I look like in public like I'm just you know yeah. happy with myself yeah for who I am like I it, I still don't care <laughs> right like I still have issues caring yeah um same <laughs> but the the positive side of it is that I also don't care in a good way right there is a good way to it's a good way not to not, not care. be shit. yeah right yeah I mean, I'm the same. I I think when I was looking at myself, the one part of me that I was really not ashamed of, but I was like, I need to stand up for what I believe in. I need to be more open. But when you're drinking and you're numb, it's just like, I just don't give a fuck in any way. So whatever. Um, But when I started into my journey, I was like, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be vocal Mm -hmm. about the things that I need to. And I'm not going to care what people think on the other side 
or think I'm ridiculous for talking about it. That's where I I took that extra step of like, okay, I was proud of myself for doing what I wanted to do. But now with that, knowing that I can do that, I need to also have these conversations and be more vocal and stand for what I think and truly believe. Yeah. Now that you say that, that's where my realization went to. It was like, I, if, if I, my eyes don't open in the morning, I don't want the general, like the generic, she was so kind, right? such a loving mom, such a devout friend. Like if I were to not wake up, what I'd want is a description of who I actually am. Tell people I'm a badass. Tell people yes. that I call people out. Tell, tell people I don't care. Tell people I'm funny. Tell people that I'm crude like tell the truth about who i am but i realized that i couldn't they couldn't tell the truth that they didn't know right if i didn't outwardly be that person yes um and even just not being tolerant um i feel like as a society we try to tell people you have to be tolerant of all kinds of people and for the most part yes Right. But also no. You know, <laughs> right. boundaries exist. Yes. Um, and once I stopped being tolerant for people who stood for things that diminished my worth or right. the worth of people who look like me or my children or my husband or my brothers, like or my sister, and I just once I just like without explanation like you know that's all i needed to know about you right and we're not we're not cool right (laughs) once i started doing that my life got significantly easier yeah like i started to people know where i stand on things but i started like actively calling people on their shit i've always done that just been a little more profound about it these days i could have a little more tact but once again once you go through certain things it doesn't matter yeah and it's sometimes the tact doesn't even help so it's better to come at it right being nice doesn't always right people don't really respond i've learned that you could say something in the nicest way and they won't care right and if they're not going to care either which way you might as well say it exactly how you want them to hear it and walk away yeah yeah. Exactly. Rather than like sugarcoating exactly. it and being like, oh, I know either way I say this, you don't care. Yeah. I'm going to say truth and hard truth and you're not going to like it, but you're not going to like it either way. So I'm going to mm-hmm. come at you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> perfect example is my oldest was getting bullied by this child. This was right before my father passed getting bullied we're having issues for months so i did what i thought stay at home mom like i i handle it how i thought they handle it you go to the school you talk to the teachers try to schedule i meet up with the parent my dad passed and it was still it happened again the kid straight up like punched him in the the nose or the neck or something and I didn't give a heads up. I just rolled up to the school. And I was like, look, I'll beat you and your mom's ass. That's just 
touch my kid again, we're all going to fight. Yeah. And you can't even have an issue. You have an issue after that. I yeah. tried to talk to the parents. Right. They, it was clear where the behavior came from. Yeah. If you want to put hands on my kid, I'll put hands on you. That's just how it's going to work. Yeah. You know? And we haven't had an issue since. Fantastic. Yeah. So, again, tolerance, you don't, you don't have to. Right. You, you don't have to. Sometimes yeah. all it takes is a really simple gesture and people will leave you alone. Yeah. 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 I yeah. just, I've stopped, I've stopped caring. Like I just, yeah. you know, is actually stopping caring <laughs> led to one of the funniest stories of my life. Um, then my darkest era of like holding my traumas in and just it was around christmas time and holidays are still really hard sure so yeah not doing good but one of my things that i was holding on to and looking forward to was the playstation 5 i was like oh my gosh because i've been a switch gamer this whole time i "I want one so bad you know you have all the games that I'd like to play, like open world RPGs and stuff. And all the games I'd like to play, I want to try Call of Duty. Like, I'm so excited. So waiting for months to miss the drops every time, put me in a darker place. It sounds dumb now, but then, <laughs> you know, anything can put you. <laughs> of course, yeah. Right. Um, and so finally this guy reached out. And mind you, I had never, I had never bought a console or anything like that. I was a Switch gamer, so getting a Switch, I had zero issue getting yeah. one. So I didn't know, I didn't know how hard it was, or how many people scam people, or like I, I was very naive to it. Yeah. This guy though reached out and was like, "Hey, my fiance got the wrong version. He wanted the physical version instead of the digital one, and I was looking for a digital one. Um, I'll sell it to you. No problem." I'm just trying to break even. I'm not trying to make a profit off it. And to me, that sounded like, oh, yeah. Sweet. Naive. Um, and so he gave me his number. I texted him. And he ended up ha- we ended up having a conversation. You know, he said he saw my art. His, his fiance is in the art. Gave her my number. I didn't have hers, but he gave her my number. And he just seemed like really authentic. Even talked about how his daughter had a chronic illness. Mm. Now I know, I mean, I'm sure she does, but now I know that that was just to get me to trust the mom. So anyways, it was, I send half, he wanted the full amount then. I said, no, so I send half the money up front, half the money when I get it. I sent half the money. He sent me like an entire receipt, the shipping receipt with a store number and everything and the date so that's what i asked for yeah i sent him the remaining one and then um i didn't hear from him at all and when i texted him back but was, you know when you text someone with an iphone it's blue yeah and if they block you something it's green well it was green so i knew immediately Oof. and again i'm in the midst of my not giving a fuck right. <laughs> about anything <laughs> yeah so i was like all right well i'll give this guy a chance 
to refund me in a very peaceful way before I burn everything down. <laughs> and that yeah. was just how my mindset was. Right. So I reached out on Twitter where he reached out to me and I was like, you have until 9 p.m. on Tuesday. Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. And on this specific day to give me my money and I'll drop this. I don't want anything extra, just my money. Owing guard, that's the way. He ignored it. I, on Twitter, you could see that they read it or whatever. And he would yeah. just change his username to a different variation of his name. <laughs> so he kept doing that. And I was like, okay, well, you're not a very good scammer. Like, I right. fell for it, but you're also bad at it. Right. So <laughs> I, he kept changing it. So finally, or I reached out my husband's phone because my number was blocked. He read it and then blocked my husband's phone. I made another Twitter and reached out on him. I tried everything I could to do it peacefully. Yeah. He chose otherwise. So I obliged. So eventually I went over the, the deep end and I reverse searched his name that he kept the name that he kept using. And it popped up like three different ones. And then finally he changed it to this one that he hadn't used before, but it still had one of the names. And boom, spot on matched with all the rest of them, address, mortgage, wife, or fiance, wow. uh, cars, father. And then I cross-referenced it with the store number and the county that the staples was in. Boom, perfect match. Like, perfect. So I <laughs> founded a, an entire legal company yeah an entire legal team that night and created an email and sent it to all the emails including father whatever whoever was in that family the yeah. email went to them and i made it look super legit basically saying well i did report him to like the it the ic3 or whatever the internet crime yeah for fraud and stuff um, so I did actually do all of that, but I also was like, you know, this happened across state lines. The guy was in Maryland. I'm here. Um, so it could be federal charges, which serve up to something amount of years, which all stuff that I actually looked up. And that same night, I'm relaxing. I took some Ativan. My nerves were hot. Was playing my switch, minding my own business, and I have a frantic. Or my husband tells me, like, check your phone. My phone's on do not disturb at nine forty-five every night. Yeah. Like, check your phone. And I thought he was sending me like a stupid video or something. Sure. Like, yeah. Oh, no, I'll check it. And it's these frantic text messages from the fiance. He gave his number. He gave my number too for my art. Uh huh. She's like, oh my god, I cannot believe he did this. I cannot believe he's entire person. And she's frantic. And so I just told her everything. I was like, and he used your daughter's chronic illness. Yeah. Mm -mm. She was <laughs> like, oh my God, I like we have to leave. I'm making a refund you now. So what happened was he texted my husband. I don't know why he didn't just text my phone, but he texted, or I guess his wife texted me and I wasn't answering. So he texted my husband's phone. I don't know why he didn't text mine. Um, then finally he texted me. And, you know, things just kept transpiring between me and his wife. He still tried to lie and tell his 
wife's fiance that he paid me. He did not. So I snitched again. And then by 12.01 a.m., something like that, I had my 450 back in my bank account. Nice. Because he thought that the FBI was going to press charges. I love it. From a Gmail <laughs> account. <laughs> it was just like... It's so good. I like told Twitter or whatever. Well, I told my friends and they were like, you have to put that on Twitter. Yeah. Like, you have to. But I told them because that's a completely normal thing for me to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I told them, they're like, no, you have to put it on Twitter. I put it on Twitter and before I know it, it was everywhere. I had like game blogs and stuff reaching out. Oh, wow. Out. And that's, all stems from not caring. Right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What am I going to do? Right. <laughs> Thank you many names. Like, what is what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I love that. And it That's wouldn't so have happened good. if I wasn't in the darkest moment not caring. Right. I would have just been like, well, that was an L. Might as well take it. Yeah. And I was tired of taking L's. So. Yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Twitter that is funnier than I say in, in person, but so good. It's very uh, vulgar, so I didn't say it. <laughs> oh well. I mean, you're more than welcome to. It's long. Yeah. I can give you the link for it. I can yeah, give you the link for it. But it's funny. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. My last question for you is: If you had the ear of everybody in the world, what would you say to them? Don't be an asshole. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I was going to say something like, you're not alone, but in all honesty, don't be an asshole. Yeah. I, I 100% yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I, I feel like we, nobody hears it enough. Yeah, so true. If it's, if it's warranted, go for it, but don't yeah. be an asshole for no reason. Yeah. Yep nice people yeah be nice yeah. stop being an asshole don't be an give asshole give people the benefit of the doubt no and then go from there but yeah. you don't need to start off like that no nobody's got time for that shit no and things are hard already like stop being so miserable right Just live we're all enjoy. miserable already stop it yeah yeah <laughs> make my part of it. don't be don't be an asshole yeah anybody hearing this don't be an asshole don't be an asshole I agree. Yeah. <laughs> like life lesson. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Brittany, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've had so much fun chatting with you, and I appreciate you coming on and hanging with me. Thank you for having me on. This was a fun yeah. experience. Yeah. I'm sorry cool. if I went on a rant on rant. No, sorry. I don't I don't accept your apologies. <laughs> don't accept okay. it. Okay. No, no <laughs> sorries are accepted here. So I appreciate it. I loved hearing every story every every experience so I, I appreciate you being open and honest and chatting i hope i answered your questions as thoroughly or like really it was perfect accurately absolutely okay. perfect <laughs> okay. all right well i hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and you too. yeah thank you again thank you 
Thank you for listening to the Beautifully Human podcast. To hear more beautiful stories from beautiful humans, follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Beautifully Human Podcast. Peace signs up.